Aren't you glad that you serve a risen Savior? Yeah. When, when we were singing that song this morning, I, I thought about that, and I thought, um, you know, if, if they could have, they would have dug up a body so that they could prove to everybody that he didn't rise from the dead, right? The, the enemy that is against us, the enemy that is against God's enemy, Satan, would have produced a body if it was there. It's not there. It's not there because he's risen. In fact, it's quite the opposite. I think it's in, in Acts, it says, 500 witnesses witnessed him alive after his death, after his crucifixion on the cross. So you know that the Savior that you serve this morning, that you serve, is alive. He's, he's not in a grave. There's no grave for him. It's an empty grave. So, so Dodger was, was kind of telling you that um, this morning's teaching is, is, is about family, and, and it is. It's, it's about that, that place um, in our homes, right? It's the place where everything happens. It's, um, I'll tell you what, this week when I was doing this, I just, I don't know what was happening, but I just was not receiving anything. I, 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 was, I was all over the place, and, and I was taking care of other things, and it just didn't feel like it was coming together really for me. But, but then, as always, God does something really remarkable. And he says, stop worrying about all that stuff. Don't you know you serve a risen Savior? I said, oh, okay. Maybe, maybe I won't worry about it. Maybe I'll just commit this to him, and I'll just consecrate the time, give him the time, give him the energy, and say, Lord, you do something with it. And so... That's what you're getting this morning. <laughs> so, uh, like Dodger was saying, Colossians 3 is, is a, is, it's a really rich place. If, if you remember, um, let me get to it here. If, if you all want to turn to Colossians 3, our scriptures this morning will be 18 through 21. But I'd like to actually kind of look at the whole chapter 3 together for just a second. If you remember in the first part of uh, Colossians 3, um, it talks about who we are and where we find our hope, right? He says, set your hearts on things above where Christ is. If you're looking around here, you may not be very encouraged. You may be discouraged. You may be tempted to go somewhere else. Um, but he says, set your hearts on things above. Don't, don't set your hearts on your trouble. Don't even set your hearts on the good things in your life because sometimes those good things can go away also and that can discourage you. He also reminds us a little in, a, uh, in verse 5 he says um, because of your earthly nature the wrath of God is coming. We have a place that we used to be at right? A person that we used to be. I do, and, and I imagine it's the same for you also. I, re, I remember that person, and I'm, um, I'm not too proud of that person. Um, but he says to put the earthly self away. He says to put the flesh away because you weren't made for that. And then as he, as he goes on in, uh, in verse 12 on down through 17, He's, uh, he goes on to speak about um, who we are now and what, 
what the life of the Spirit looks like in our lives, right? He says, put on this new life. And this new life is characterized by a lot of things that are very, very different from our old life, right? I mean, if you compare the way that you were to the way that you are now, I'm sure there's a big difference. And that difference is because Christ in you, the hope of glory, has made a, um, has made a place in your heart. As, as Dodger was finishing up last week, he said something that, that kind of stuck with me. He, he said that um, because whatever we do in word or deed, we do it in the name of the Lord, right? So we represent him. But he didn't say it like that. He said, we represent him. And, and that made me think. I thought, wow, what, is, what does that mean? And so I thought about it. And, you know, God presented Jesus to us in the scriptures, didn't he? In, in Isaiah, in the Psalms, even back as far as Genesis, he said there is a Savior coming, right? The Jews didn't really understand what that Savior was. They thought he would deliver them from uh, their earthly enemies. And, and that's why there's parts of the Old Testament that just weren't taught um, to them because it describes a suffering Savior. And they, they didn't understand why the Savior would suffer, why the Messiah would suffer. Um, but he presented that Savior to us in the Scriptures. Then he delivered that Savior to us when Jesus was born to a virgin, right? And he grew up. He lived 33 years here among us, right? He lived among his disciples. He presented himself to them, and they learned from him. Then he died. He was just exactly what he said, what the Father said in the Scriptures happened to him, and he died on that cross, and he rose again, just like the Scriptures said he would. And so now we have a chance to not present him, to, but to represent him. So now we, re, we represent him to our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, people we go to school with, um, anybody you rub elbows with, really. You have the opportunity to represent to them the Savior that lives in your heart. In uh, 2 Corinthians 5.20, it says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. So that appeal is an appeal to be reconciled to God. It said, Paul says that he had the ministry of reconciliation. To reconcile means to bring back together. Because you have to realize that since the fall, men and women have been wandering far from God. They've been getting further and further and further from him. Let's just say they couldn't have gotten any further from him if, if anything else had happened. But... Paul says that he has the, mess, the message of reconciliation, bringing people back to God. And that happens through Jesus, right? And so we are the ambassadors of that message of reconciliation. But it, it just occurred to me, it says, if we have the job of presenting Jesus to the world around us, aren't we ambassadors first to our own families? Isn't that the place where where we have the most responsibility is with the people that we love the most. I think this is a, this is a, a really important area of the working of God's grace. 
Um, I'm not sure why Paul was really tagged to, to, to deliver this message to the Gentiles. Um, Paul didn't, didn't have a wife. Paul didn't have any natural children of his own. Um, he had many spiritual children that he tells us of. Um, I, I'm, I'm not sure why I'm here sharing this with you today because I know I've failed in a lot of this. I have failed. I, I have to tell you that. Um, but I have to say this too. If, if God were looking for perfect people to use, he really wouldn't have anybody to use. So, so he's, he's used Paul, and Paul did a good job of laying this out. And, and he's using me, and I'm going to try to um, try to also share something with you that I hope will be, will be helpful for you also. Um, so I didn't have a, a very good example of what a godly father, husband and father, was supposed to be when I was growing up. My dad was just kind of absent. Um, um, even now, I, I have to bring myself to a place where I can forgive him and I can love him um, because I, I don't, I don't want to think that way about him, you know. I, I did my best to uh, tell him who Jesus was in my life, and um, many times he just didn't want to hear about it. Um, but when I got saved, I got saved in a little church down in Warner Robins, Georgia. It's a, it was a, a small community about 100 miles south of Atlanta. And, and uh, I went into, I was in the Air Force, and I got stationed there at Warner Robins Air Force Base. And one of the, the things you have to do, you have all these appointments, you have to keep your dropping your records off, right? Your medical records, your dental records, your finance records. Well, you have a, an education record, too. So I take it to the education office, and I drop it off. And this lady starts telling me about all the, all the, the uh, things I can do. I can go to college if, if I want to, and the Air Force will pay for part of it and all these things. And then she looked at me, and she says, oh, and my church is having a movie tonight, and you're welcome to come if you want to. And I thought... Well, does the Air Force want me to have a church too? And she goes, no, that, that's me. So I said, okay. I, I, I remember that woman to this day, June Bradley. She was, she was a dear, sweet saint, and I will never, ever forget her and her son, Jeff. Um, so so I, I went to that church, and I got saved at that church. And, and the pastor of that church, John Zook, I got to kind of... Um, I don't know, just kind of watch him work. You know, I, I, we, we did a lot of things around the church together as men, and he invited me to come and do all those things. I got connected with a lot of the other men there, and I got to know John really well. And I, I realized that John loved the Word of God. There was, uh, there was very little else in his life that he committed time to other than the Word of God. And I watched him with his family, and... I have to tell you, I was shocked. I was shocked at the way it worked because his family had such harmony. Him and his wife, Becky, and their two daughters. I looked at it and I thought, man, I wish I had a, a home like that, you know? And it became obvious to me that the difference in their home and the home where I grew up was that their home was centered around Jesus. The home where I grew up, my mom tried to center it around God, but there was a lot of commotion and a lot of turmoil and a lot of um, just a lot of stuff going on. And, and when I saw John and Becky and how they ran their household, I thought, 
That's what I want my household to be like. I, I want it to be like that. Um, so, so, so at that point, God did provide me with an example, right? We don't always have a good example, but he provided that example. Um, and so from there, we're going to look at today this, uh, this scripture in, in uh, Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 through 21. And if you would, is everybody there in chapter 3 right now? Let's go ahead and I'm going to read that. It says, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. So the first thing, the first thing you kind of notice about this is there's a command here for everybody, right? It's spread out over the whole household. Um, and there's a reason for that. Um, so life in your home, I'm going to guess that it doesn't always go real smoothly, right? I know not, life in my house never did. Even though I was a Christian, even though we committed our way to God, life has bumps. It's got lots of bumps. It's got lots of friction. Um, there are expectations that we have of one another, right? Sometimes, sometimes those expectations are unmet. And that almost always leads to some kind of frustration or anxiety or even anger. Um, but that's how it happens in the family, right? That all happens under that roof. Before you get your first cup of coffee, things start happening, right? And that's, that's just the way it is. And, and the funny thing is, is this is where you are the real you, too. So when you're out here at church, when you're um, at work, wherever you spend your day, you might be able to put on a pretty good face. You may be able to make it look like everything's really going good. I've got it together. But when you're at home, if that's not the case, everybody's going to know, right? Your kids know who you are. They see it when you lose your temper because... Um, uh, Okay, I, I, I'll give you a good example. You're, you're cleaning up the dishes after dinner, and it's 7 o'clock at night. And one of your kids comes and says, I have a science project due tomorrow, and i got to have a poster board, and I've got to have 3 by 5 index cards, and I've got to have all this stuff. And you go, what? How long have you known about this? And all of a sudden, you find yourself at Target or Walmart or something at 8, 8.30 at night, and you're trying to get all this stuff together, and you're wondering, how did this happen? That's life. That's life in the house, right? Yeah. So you have to figure out a way to deal with that. You have to figure out a way. If Christ is here with me in this house, if this house is structured around him and his spirit, how does this work? Do I lose my temper? Do I, do I try to, do I let them fail? <laughs> sometimes you do that, right? You, you might actually have to just do that sometimes. Um, but the thing is, is there's, there's a learning situation there, and it's up to us as the mom and dad in the house, the parents of the house, to figure out what God is doing in that space, right? Um, it's also obvious that in this place where all this turmoil takes place, 
this is where grace really stands out. You can see it right away. It's obvious because when it's not there, things are not good. Things are not good at all. You lose your temper. People get aggravated with each other. Maybe they go to their room, and then you hear the wham, the door slams, right? And you go, maybe there's a couple of them that slam. (laughs) But things are not going good. But when grace is extended in these situations, it makes a difference. It makes a big difference. There's, There's healing that can take place. Even in a situation with all the chaos, healing can take place in that space where we extend the hand of God's grace to the people that we love the most. We really ought to be good at giving grace to the people that we love the most, you know? They ought to get grace first. The other people ought to stand in line for it, (laughs) I guess. That's probably the best way to say it. So one of the things that that I, I learned was that God instituted the family as the first form of government. Government. This wasn't uh, formulated by a government somewhere. It wasn't formulated by a politician. This was from God. And if you go back to Genesis 2.24, he says it there. And he also says it again in Ephesians 5.31. He says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother, and he will be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. You ever have a, a, a biology class where you're watching as cells divide and you see how a cell, it kind of gets skinny in the middle and part of it breaks away and all of a sudden you've got two cells, right? Well, the family is much the same way. As, as a man leaves his father and mother, he takes a wife and they become a new family and they have children of their own and that becomes a living functioning organism, just like the one you came from. And um, one of the, in in fact, uh, I don't know if you would say the only purpose, but the main purpose of the family is to grow and have children. That's it. God told Adam and Eve, he said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. You can't do that if you're not having children. You can't. It's impossible to fulfill that command. So to understand that the family was made for children, and, and I know there are families all over that for one reason or another don't have children. And I'm, I'm not criticizing that at all. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm, I am saying this, is that the family was created for children. Um, God had this plan. He wanted to fill the earth. And he was going to use families just like yours and just like mine to fill the earth. But there was a problem. Mankind fell. They rebelled against God. And when mankind, when Adam and Eve fell, when they rebelled and did their own thing, families fell too. So now the family is not what it's supposed to be any more than we are what we're supposed to be as men and women. The scriptures are full of families that, that are perverted or distorted. They're, they're just messed up. God was using the family to accomplish his purpose, to fill the earth and subdue it, right? To, to fill the earth with godly offspring. So Satan attacked the family, and he perverted the family, and he's trying to use the family for his purpose. And 
I don't think you can probably see that any more clearly than you can today as you look at the stress that families are under and, and the crazy things that are out there, you know? I mean, it, it's come to where almost anything can be a family. I mean, it could be two men, two women, uh, a man and his dog. Who, who knows? It's gotten crazy to where they say anybody can be a family. But that's not what God instituted. That's not what he said was good. What he was said was good is what, when a man takes a woman and leaves his mother and father and starts his own family and begins to have children. As far as I, I'm aware, women are the only people that can have children. I've never seen it happen any other way. And, and I'm glad that they're still doing that because they are building families still today just like God instituted. Um, there's a kind of a companion verse. The, the, the verses that we read this morning, they seem kind of short and curt, don't they? Almost like they're uh, machine gun kind of commands out there. Um, that's, that's not the way it's intended to be, I don't think. Um, there's another scripture over in Ephesians 5, and it goes from 21 to 33. If, if you want to, you can go ahead and turn there with me. I'd like to read this to you because I think it kind of broadens the scope of these verses out and it gives you a really good idea of what's really going on here. So it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Notice one thing. He doesn't say wives submit. He just said, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is Savior. Now, as a church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church, and he gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and they care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we all are all members of his body, and for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So that's, um, that's quite, a, quite a difference there, isn't it? Um, it takes, this first uh, uh, version of it in Colossians says kind of the same thing, but this expands on it quite a bit more. And what we find out is that the family is a picture of, of the relationship of Jesus with his church. 
this relationship is the relationship of a loving husband with his wife. And this is also one reason why God hates divorce so much. In, in Malachi 2.16, it says that a man who divorces his wife does violence to the one that he should protect. So if you kind of get the idea that God is showing the world what he is like, what his Savior, Jesus, is like by the relationship inside the family, right? But when people get divorced, even people of the church get divorced, what they're saying is, no, Jesus isn't really that good. He's not that good. But that is not the truth. The truth is that men and women fall short. We all fall short. We are told how to take advantage of this grace that we have available to us, and we don't do it. We t we're told of how much love God has for us, but sometimes we don't avail ourselves of it. When, whenever someone violates the marriage vows and the marriage covenant, it distorts this relationship, the picture of this relationship of Jesus with his church. And that's why God hates it so much. I want to say just a little bit about the commandments themselves, though. The first one says, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the, in the Lord. You know, sometimes it seems like the mom or the wife is saddled with a lot of responsibility in the home. Um, she doesn't get an off day. She doesn't really have a clock to punch out on. Um, her, her job goes on 24-7, right? Um, so she's taking care of her husband, and she's taking care of the children, and she's, she may even be doing things outside of the home, maybe in a church or something. So I think sometimes it gets to the point where she, she is not able to look after her own needs very well. But I think that the important thing here is that her most important need is her spiritual need, her need to be close to Jesus. I think that as she looks at the life of Jesus and how he held up under all the stresses that he was under, and that's what she's feeling. She's feeling stress. She's feeling like she's pulled a lot of different ways. Um, Jesus went to his father. He got up early. And I know sometimes you may feel like you're just too tired to do it. But if you can spend any time with him, you will get strength from it. Jesus did. Jesus got strength to walk to the cross from his father. And that's the, that's the worst kind of stress I can think of. Through prayer and God's word, she can plug into the same power source that Jesus did. Even though she's a picture of the church, the bride of Christ, she is being transformed into the image of the Savior by the sacrificial love that she offers to her family. 
Then it goes on and it says, husbands, love your wives and don't be harsh with them. And I thought that, that was sounding kind of odd to me. I says, well, why would he say don't be harsh with them? And the reason is, is because many times that's what we as husbands do, don't we? We, we, we want to come in and we say, well, let's just do this and this and this and this. And I want it to flow just like that. And so we're short, we're curt. We don't want to understand what she may be coming up against trying to do what we want to do. And so we're harsh with the people that we love the most. Husbands actually are called to do the same sacrificial giving as their wife is. That's why in this scripture here, he said, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Well, how much did Jesus love the church? He, he loved the church enough to go to the cross for her, didn't, didn't he? He loved us enough to die for us. Well, husbands need to be willing to do that also. But sometimes we think of it as giving our lives, you know. Sometimes it's not giving your life. Sometimes it's living your life for them, right? That's kind of where the rubber meets the road for the husband, I think. He may spend all day at work and, he, and work hard and come home, and he may be thinking, I'm just going to turn off. I'm out of work. I'm done. But he's going to come home, and he's going to find his wife still working hard to take care of him and the children to get dinner on the table and things like that. And if he's not willing to partner with her to do that, then there's there's going to be um, there's going to be problems. Um, husbands are called to the same sacrificial giving that the wives are. You can't just focus on your life at work. You can't believe that's who you are. That's not who you are. That's just something you do. And I know I used to always think that. I always used to think I was however much money I could bring home in a paycheck. But that's not who I am. I'm, I'm there to provide for my family, but providing for your family means so many more things than just bringing home a paycheck. There's so much more than that. If you come home and you can't partner with the one that you love the most in this world, your, your wife, and you can't take care of the little ones that you love the most, your children, then where do we go from there? You're at an impasse at that point, you know? You're going to burn her out, and they're going to get upset because mom's burned out, and you're going to get upset because you're not getting what you want. And so I think it really comes back to this first sentence here in, in the Scripture in Ephesians 5. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That doesn't mention wife or husband or children. We all should do that. We should submit to each other, right? Find out, you know, in our, in our devotion before uh, church today, Dodger was saying something about you have to put yourself in a place where you can hear the other side, hear people who don't think the way you do. And, 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 and that's even in the church here. You're going to find differences between you and, and other members of the body of Christ. But we have to make room for that. We have to extend a hand. And I think part of it is find out where Jesus is standing and stand alongside him. 
and then see if you can get those that you love to come stand alongside you because you're standing next to Jesus. Don't say, come stand next to me because this is what I think. Say, come stand next to me because I'm trying to press into the Savior and see if they won't respond to that kind of invitation. But I think as men see their marriages as a spiritual relationship as much as a physical relationship, they'll they'll begin to love their wives the way that Jesus loves the church. And as remember I said before, as, as the wife gives sacrificially in the marriage, she's becoming transformed into the image of her Savior, right? Well, the man is doing the same thing. As he learns to give sacrificially in, in, the, in the home also, he is being transformed into the image of Jesus also, who came here not as um, uh, a master, He came here as a servant, he said. He said, I came to serve and to save those who are lost. That's us. So we should also do the same thing. Then then the, the scripture says, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And... You know, I, I said that there's a scripture in here for everybody. This is the one for the kids. So, so maybe you write this one down. I don't know. You know, we're, we're quick to point this one out. But remember that your children are watching you. They want to know, how do I do this? How do I obey my parents? It's not a matter of cracking a whip over them and making them do what you tell them to do. It's a matter of parenting. It's a matter of coming alongside them. It's a matter of um, letting them watch you do it, right? So sometimes you say, get out there and clean that garage. And you go out and you look, you say, well, maybe you move stuff around a little bit, but it's not clean. (laughs) Maybe what's needed is you go out there with them and clean it with them, right? Parenting's not convenient. It's never convenient. Parenting happens in those times when you have this stack of things to do and your children just are not cooperating. They're not. But you know what? That stack of things will be there when you're done. If you take them along with you and you show them how to do it, you show them that you love them enough to walk through it with them, just like Jesus loves us enough to walk through what we have to go through. It says, fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Um, I kind of like the way it says it in in Ephesians. It says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. So you know that stack of things you got stacked up? Don't just take that stack and put it on them. They can't do anything with it. You're going to weigh them down. You're going to exasperate them, and then they get frustrated and they get angry. Don't just make long lists for them. Show them that they live in a family that is a spiritual family, first of all. It's a physical family, but it's a spiritual family first. As you show Jesus to them and that you submit to Jesus and that you and mom both follow him, they'll follow you. They will follow you. You know, there's there's one additional observation I, I, I saw both in Colossians and in Ephesians. And it's, it's a scripture that precedes both of these um, 
um, rules for Christian living. And, and Paul says, he says, speak to one another in psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. The Spirit, capital S. When we do that, when we listen to the Spirit of God in our own lives and we speak to each other that way, it's hard to criticize somebody when you're speaking to them in hymns and songs, right? And I think what he's saying is that cultivate the Spirit in your own life. Cultivate the Spirit in your own family so that you can hear him well. You hear him quickly. That way, when these things pop up and they pop up quick, you can respond not out of anger, not out of frustration, but out of love for your children, love for your wife, love for your husband. Marriage is a spiritual relationship, and it does reflect the love of the Savior for his bride. And as we submit to him in these relationships in our family, we won't be disappointed. Our families will flourish. I go back to it again. Think of it like a picture, like a painting. Who was who that guy that used to be on the TV that would teach you how to paint? Bob Ross, that's him, yeah. Remember, he could make any amateur look good by showing him how to paint this forest or a mountain or whatever, right? Well, Jesus has painted a picture for us of the family, and the picture is of him and his bride. And we, when we remember that picture and we tidy it up, and we tidy it up by listening to him, by obeying his spirit, by by submitting to him and submitting to each other, we make that portrait more clear and more clear to the people around us. Remember, the world's watching us, just like I was watching John Zook and his wife when I didn't know what a Christian family was supposed to look like. Your children are watching you. They want to know what a Christian family is supposed to look like, too. And so are maybe your, uh, your neighbors, um, your friends, those people around you will benefit from it also.